Tonight we are, we are in the middle of a series called The Whole Story, where the mission of, of this series is for me to take you through the whole, um, the whole big picture of Scripture, so you can see how the whole thing fits together, from Genesis to Revelation, okay? And for the last several weeks, we've been in the book of Genesis, which is at the very beginning. Now we're in the book of Exodus, which is the second book of the Bible, okay? And last week, we walked through how God used his chosen servant Moses to free his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt, okay? You guys are familiar with Moses? You know what I'm talking about? Um, and the way that God freed the Israelites was through ten plagues, okay? Um, frogs, Nile turns to blood, the death of the firstborn, the death of livestock, and all these things culminating in the death of the firstborn, okay? And so we just got through the ten plagues last week. And What's going to happen tonight is next week we're going to kind of continue in the action. You know, he's freed them from slavery in Egypt, and then next week we move forward with the story. But tonight we're going to kind of push pause for a second, and I need you to understand why he freed them. So he freed the Israelites from bondage and slavery in Egypt, but why did he do that? And, and more importantly than just historically, why did he do that? What does that have to do with you? Okay. So that's what we're going to talk through tonight. And in doing so, we're actually going to look at what I think is the most, what I say? Tonight we're going to talk about the verse in the Bible that people get wrong the most, okay? So if you have a Bible, or if you're fancy and have one on your phone, turn or swipe to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16. And we're going to get into this verse that I think is the most often incorrectly said in the Bible. Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, and then it, it's going to play again, so we'll, we'll do that too. Here we go. Exodus 7, verse 16, and this is God telling Moses, Then say to Pharaoh, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to say to you, Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Let my people go, so that they may worship me. Flip over to Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Exodus chapter 8, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, so that they may serve me. Alright, look at me now. Let my people go. That's the famous, you know what I'm saying? Does that make sense? Like, that's what Moses says to his people. Prince of Egypt is one of my favorite movies. Don't judge. It's, it's not a big deal. I love that stuff. Um, okay, laughed a little too hard at that one, Lauren. Um, Prince of Egypt is awesome, right? And then in the, there's an old movie called The Ten Commandments with a guy named Charlton Heston. It's probably one of Zeb's favorite movies because Zeb is like 85. Um, and in that movie, in both movies, the epic quote from Moses is, let my people go. And that's it. That's the end of the quote. Let my people go. And we miss this second half of this verse. Let my people go so that they may serve me, or so that they may worship me. And the reason I bring this verse up in the middle of the whole story is because this verse is the whole story. Let my people go so that they may worship me. Here's why this is important. So many Christians are confused about whether or not they're really saved. So many people are convinced that they are Christians and they're not 
So many actual Christians are sad all the time, doubt all the time, they're burned out all the time, and so many Christians are slaves to their sin still. And I think the reason this is true is because so many Christians only know the first half of that verse. So many of us live as if only the first half of that verse is true. Let my people go and don't worry so much about the, the worship me part. Ignore that part. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about and why this is important. Okay, this one was funny when I thought of it in my head. Um, if, if I texted, and I guarantee you this will be the same for the adults too, so don't let them put you down, okay? But if for some of you, like some of my leaders especially, if I was about to preach and like something crazy happened and I had to leave, and I was like, hey dude, you're preaching tonight, do your thing, okay? And you just kind of had to make it up on the spot. I guarantee you, verbatim, this is probably what would come out of your mouth. Exactly. Your sermon would be one sentence long. And that's okay. But this is the sentence. Hey guys, Jesus loves you. See you next week. That would be like, that's your sermon. Like, that's how it would go. Now, here, that's okay. That's a good, that's a good point to make, right? Jesus loves you. That's good. But, but listen to me. Do you realize what that means? Do you know what that feels like? Do you know the implications that come from the fact that He loves you? Do you know what that means for your life? The fact that Jesus Christ loves you. The fact that you don't have to start doing the good things first and then He'll pay attention. Saying, Jesus loves you, see you later. That's kind of the message of our culture. And, and this is the problem with that. Alright, let's do the ladies first. Ladies, look up at me. It's like this, saying, Jesus loves you, see you later, is like if I came up to you and I was like, hey, you're engaged, uh, you don't know the guy, okay, see you next week. No, right, okay, that's not going to, there's like three of you in here, they're like, that sounds awesome, but it's not, that's a terrible <laughs> idea, but, but like, that's what it would be like, hey, you're engaged to be married, you don't know who the guy is, all right, you guys get out of here, I'll see you next week, let's pray it up, and that's, that's how, it would, how it would end, but, but that's simple, right? That's the whole point, right? That's what they need to hear. They need to hear that Jesus loves them, right? And yes, that is the whole point. But follow me here. Follow me. If you found out that you were engaged, you know that means a whole lot more than just you're engaged. It's not just, hey, you're engaged, see you later. God says, let my people go. But that's not the end of it. It's not, let my people go, I'll see you later. God says, let my people go so that they may worship me. So Moses' real message to Pharaoh is this. God loves us so much that He wants the best thing for us. So He is breaking into this country. He is breaking into our lives to pull us out of this slavery that we are so used to, that we are so comfortable in, so that He can pull us into new life, worshiping Him. That's what let my people go so that they may worship me means. It doesn't just mean God loves Israel. It means because God loves Israel, Israel's life is about to change. If you just got engaged, your whole life is about to change. Trust me on that, okay? 
And when I tell you that Jesus loves you, that's not the end. It means your whole life is about to change if this is true. Just like if you got engaged, your whole life is about to change if that is true. Because he doesn't just, yes, Jesus loves you. Yes, he loves you. But he doesn't just love you to love you. The same way Moses doesn't just say, let my people go just so they can go. God says, I love you. But that means something. Something amazing. It means he's going to break into your life the same way he, follow this, look at me. He's going to break into your life the same way he broke into Egypt. And he's going to pull you in the same way he pulled the Israelites in. Let my people go so that they can worship me. That's the whole gospel. Some of you may not know what what is the Christian message. That is the Christian message. And so often we just settle for the first half. Let my people go. Another way we do it is like this. Um, Another, let's say, the following week, I was absent again, and you had to hop up here. Well, you can't say, hey, Jesus loves you, because you used that last week. So instead, you decide to say, hey, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus died for you. The end. You're just going le- to leave it there? Like, he, like Christ died for you. The end? Let my people go. The end? No. Just like God didn't say, let my people go, and that's the end, Jesus didn't just die for you. God freed the Israelites so that they could worship Him. Jesus died for you to free you so that you could worship Him. I wonder how many of you are comfortable because you walked the aisle when you were six There's the let my people go, but where's the second half? So that they may worship me. Is that happening? Christ died for you on the cross so that he could free you from the sin of lust. So that you could worship him. Has that happened or are you still... Christ died for you on the cross. Here we go. And this is just, we're just going to pop it right here. Christ died for you, and there's another one that's way worse, so just I'm going to get everybody in here. Christ died for you so that he could free you from worshiping the person you're dating. And I know several of you in here are like, you know, not my problem, Ryan, I'm single. Thanks for bringing that up, though. And that's the thought, right? But listen, single people, you need to get this in your head as well. Because eventually what's going to happen is you need to understand that Christ has died to free you from worshiping the person you're dating. So that that way, when you go through a breakup, your life is not over. Because that's what happens. Christ died for you to free you from that so that that way, when you go through a breakup, you can say, you can be honest with God and say, this hurts really bad. Terribly bad. But I can keep going because my God has not broken up with me. Thank you, thank you, Haley. Um, it's the first one I've gotten, so it's okay. We're good. Um, not used to it. Okay. Um, 
couples in here, okay? And there are several. Couples listening to me on the podcast later. Is this the case in your life? Has he set you free so that you can worship him in your relationship? If you don't worship him in your, look at me, if you don't worship him in your relationship, you won't worship him in your breakup. Are you still a slave to this? Desperately needing this relationship to survive. Has Jesus freed you from that? Relationships are a great gift, but they're a terrible God. Only Jesus works. Next one. Christ died on the cross. Look at me. Christ died on the cross to free you from the sin of being a jerk to your parents all the time. Angry with your parents all the time. Some of you are trapped in this cage of anger and you cannot get out of it. You're just angry at your parents all the time. You get set off so easy. All the, as soon as you walk into the house, you're running on hot. Christ died to free you so that you can have... The, listen to me. Christ died to free you so that you would have the strength through His Holy Spirit to be kind to your family even when you don't want to. To sit at the table and talk with your parents about your day without you just saying, it was fine, and going to your room. Or exploding on them when, you, when they tell you to do something that you don't want to do. Some of you, I know, some of you go postal every time your parents ask you to do something that you don't want to do. And let me tell you this, do you know why that is? You're a slave. You're in, follow this, you're in the Egypt of your anger. Does that make sense? You're in the Egypt of your anger, the Egypt of your lust. You're in the Egypt of loving comfort more than God. You're in the Egypt of loving stuff more than God, enslaved to that. But listen, it doesn't end there. Because just like God broke into the Egypt, just like God broke into Egypt through the plagues to free them from their slavery, God breaks into your life to free you from yours. But instead of using the plagues, this time he uses the cross. You and the Israelites were set free for the same reason, to worship the Lord. He doesn't just love you and that's it, go home. Just like you're not just engaged. Trust me, I am not just engaged. It's much more awesome than that. When you get engaged, just for future reference, when you get engaged, you don't just sit there and be engaged. Your whole life changes. Everything changes. Not because you're engaged, so you're supposed to get your life right now, but because, you're, but because you have been called up into something much more beautiful. And your whole outlook on life, your priorities, your attitudes, think about it, your priorities, how you value things, your attitudes, how you treat other people, your desires, the things you really want, they change. That's what becoming a Christian is. It's change. And I know we, we talk about the cool thing in Christianity now is to bash walking the aisle. Um, that's not something to bash. 
It's totally okay if that's how you came to faith, by walking the aisle. But the problem is, if it just stopped there, you didn't come to faith. It's not just, let my people go. You follow me? Let my people go so that they may worship me. Walk the aisle to begin this life of worship. Now, everybody needs to do this for me. Everybody look at me and go, <gasps> and I go, <sighs> okay? Now, this is why I did that. Okay, this is what being a Christian is, but it doesn't always happen all at once. So don't freak out if you're not perfect yet. You never will be on this side of eternity. But Christians do consistently begin to change. This is the best example I could think of. Um, Make sure I'm there. Being a Christian, okay, being set free to worship God, but yet not being perfect, looks like this. It's like you were drowning, right? You're drowning in a lake. That's being lost. You're drowning. And Christ grabs you and pulls you out of the water. That's being saved. You have become a Christian at that moment, okay? It's like you were drowning and he's pulled you out of the water, but you will be slowly drying off. This evidence that you were once drowning, the water on your skin, the water on your clothes, the sin that still remains from when you were totally lost, will slowly dry off of you the rest of your life. But it's a slow process of drying off. You're saved, but you're still wet. Does that make sense? You follow me? That's what living life as a Christian is like. It's the slow drying off of the evidence of your drowning. Slowly over time, you get more dry. You start to worship Him more and more. That's what bearing fruit looks like. It's not just works. It's over time, you start to fall in love with Him more. Not perfection. Not perfection, but more in love. How do you know that you're a Christian? Let me ask you a question. How do you know you're a Christian? Well, when I was eight, I understood that Jesus died for my sins. That's awesome. There's the let my people go. But where's the second half of that? So that they may worship me. That is like a double-sided coin. It's a regular coin. There is no such thing as a one-sided coin. It's either both or it's not there. You follow me? People ask me all the time, okay, what can I do to grow closer to God? What can I do to get back in a good relationship with God? You need to look at me, especially my church kids. It's not about what you do. Think about it like this. Did the Israelites do anything to free themselves from Egypt? No. They trusted, follow this, because this is where the whole story comes. The only thing they did to free themselves from Egypt is to trust in the power of the Lamb's blood. The angel of death comes in the final plague, and it's going to wipe out Israel as well as Egypt. But Israel is told, if you'll take the blood of a lamb and sacrifice it and wipe it on the doorposts, right? You can picture Sunday school, the whole thing's coming back, and you put it on the doorposts, and the blood of that lamb will save you from this death. So you have to trust that this is going to work. That's why you do it. The only thing the Israelites did to get out of Egypt was trust in the blood of the Lamb. And that sounds exactly like what you are called to do today as a Christian. 
Do you see how this has been God's plan the whole time? How Egypt, one of the things, when you go back and read Exodus in your quiet time, like I know you will tonight, right? When you do that, you'll see it is such a mirror image of what it looks like to become a Christian. This is why God did this. Trusting that the blood of Jesus shed on the cross is your shelter. That's how you grow closer to God. Start, just follow me here. You trust in the fact, not just to under, listen to me, not just to understand mentally. You trust in the fact that you are a slave to sin. Just like they were slaves in Egypt. You are a slave to anger. You are a slave to lust. A slave to wanting to be cool. A slave to wanting to be different and not cool. Same thing, guys. And you cannot get out of these things on your own. And God breaks into your life the same way He broke into Egypt to free you. But this time, instead of breaking into, look at me, this time instead of breaking into your life, this time instead of breaking into Egypt, He breaks into your life. And instead of pouring out His wrath on Egypt through the plagues, He pours His wrath out on His Son instead. The plagues that were meant for you, He poured out on Jesus instead. It's not about It's not about getting right with God. That's like an Israelite saying, how do I get out of Egypt? You can't. Here we go. You can't. I need everybody right. You cannot get right with God. You can't do that. The most powerful country in the world at the time was Egypt. Only a supernatural act of God can get the Israelites out. And only a supernatural act of God can put you right with Him, like the death and resurrection of His Son. You have to lean into that. Lean into the fact that all the power and wrath that God unleashed in the plagues is the same wrath and power that He unleashed on His own Son on the cross. But you're the one who loves your relationship more than God. You're the one who loves being cool more than God. You're the one who loves stuff more than God. You're the one who loves comfort more than God, which is why you hate coming to church. Jesus didn't want any of those things. He was perfect. So why did God pour out all His wrath on Jesus instead of on you and me? He pours it out on Jesus instead because He wants to be with you. But God had to punish because God is just. Part of being perfect is being perfectly just, which means evil gets punished every time. So he can't just let the Israelites go because they're evil too. But they're his people and he wants to be with them. So he has to punish them, but he wants to let them go. How can he do both? He has to bring a substitute to take the punishment instead. That way, God is still perfectly just. He has perfectly punished everything. And His people are free at the same time. This is the gospel in Exodus. So He puts a lamb in their place to take their punishment so they can leave Egypt. And 2,000 years later, He sent a second lamb, and it was much better than the first. 
Because he wants to dwell with his people again, just like he did in the Garden of Eden in Genesis. The slavery of Egypt kept Israel from God. The slavery of your sin keeps you from God. So you can't get there. God has to come down and remove your bad record. So he transfers your bad record to Jesus and Jesus' perfect record to you. You did nothing to deserve eternal life. Christ did nothing to deserve death. And so he switches the two of you. One, another word for the gospel is the great exchange. The Lamb of God pays your penalty. God wants to be with you. And he is calling you. Or, listen to my church people or my Christians, He is reminding you. Listen, listen to me. He's reminding you. I love you so much that I gave my son for you. Setting Israel free was the preview of what I did for you. I'm not going to leave you. Some of you really do. and I, Some of you need to go to DQ and get a blizzard and just chill for like three days. Because you're so worked up into this but but you need to deeper than that you need to look at the gospel and trust that God loved you so much that when he put Egypt through everything he said this is nothing compared to what I'm going to do to bring you out of your sin I love you that much rest in me have joy in me And when God, so when God says, let my people go so that they may serve me, it's his way of saying, let my people come home. Later on, and we might look at this next week, I haven't totally decided yet, but in the book of Exodus, they free the Israelites. And the Israelites are supposed to worship God in the tabernacle. Okay, They're supposed to worship God in the tabernacle. But follow this. When, when God kicked Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. He put something in the front of the garden. It was, an, it was two angels, cherubim, guarding the entrance. Do you know what's designed on the front of the tabernacle? A veil with two angels on the front. It's meant to represent that you are crossing through the gate back into the Garden of Eden. It represents it. In Genesis chapter 2, to represent the beauty of God's creation, it mentions that, they use, that there is onyx and gold all throughout the Garden of Eden. Do you want to take a wild guess at the two minerals used to build the tabernacle? Onyx and gold. God is bringing them back representatively to the Garden of Eden again. In the tabernacle is a lampstand that is meant to represent the tree of life. So when you walk into the tabernacle, it's like you walk under the wings of two giant angels into Eden, into the presence of God, past the tree of life. You're in Eden again. That's God's point. I'm bringing my people home. And that's what He calls out to you every day of your life. I wish that God would tell me that He loved me. Well, you're here, and I'm telling you, He does. I'm telling you. He loves you so much that Exodus is just, a, is just a symbol of his love for you. Can you imagine, like, if Krista and I got married, and instead of enjoying our marriage, we just took the two cake figurines of the husband and wife, and we were like, that is it. 
That's marriage. That's awesome. Comparing those two figurines to mine and Kristen's marriage is comparing Exodus to God's love for you. It's a picture, it's a preview of the real freedom that is to come. This is the gospel in Exodus, and next week we'll see Jesus in Exodus. Let's pray together.